for those of us who hold these identities, how do we live lives that are faithful um, and fulfilling and beautiful and with fullness? That's the work I'm into. That's Matthias Roberts, and this is The Emerging Future. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Emerging Future. It's good to be back with you. I am your host, Joel DeYoung, and this is the podcast where we get to hear wisdom from the curious, compassionate, and courageous co-creators of our desired and emerging future. So these people have curiosity. They're eager to know and learn something. They're open-minded. They're compassionate. They're feeling or showing sympathy or concern for others. They have an open heart, and they're courageous. They're not deterred by danger or pain. These are brave people who have an open will for what is emerging. So the emerging future is that which is pulling us into the future on a path towards wholeness and flourishing of all of life. So my guests are people on the edges of culture. They're pressing up against cultural systems and social, spiritual boundaries. They're asking questions and leading, exploring, testing, prototyping possible ways of moving forward. So it'll be rare that I have a guest, you know, that's mainstream because most of what's mainstream is just supporting the status quo, you know, fitting in the middle, ignoring really what's needed to be done to participate in reality that encourages global human flourishing. Are you with me? So today's guest is in the domain of religion, specifically Christianity. Matthias Roberts is Christian and gay. To some people, these categories don't mix. In fact, a lot of people. And to Matthias, really, these aren't categories. This is simply who he is, a gay Christian man who has not only found the courage to name that as his identity, but also to be a leader and an example for everyone who identifies as LGBTQ and is pursuing faith. Matthias's driving question is, what does it mean to be a queer person of faith? Matthias is a podcaster. He hosts Queerology, a weekly podcast where he interviews queer people of faith. He blogs on this subject and is working on two different books. He recently graduated with a master's degree in theology and culture and is in a final year of getting his master's in counseling at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. So Matthias is definitely a brave soul, working on healing, healing people that have been harmed by narrow religious beliefs and helping encourage a sense of infinite belonging to themselves, to their identities, to their faith. So, what does this have to do with the emerging future, and why did I want to interview him? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, first, Matthias shares my own faith tradition, Christianity, and 
Contrary to popular belief, if you love your faith tradition in any way, shape, or form, you will critique it, analyze it, and evolve it. Matthias is doing this with the Christian faith, and I think it's extremely important. Second, I've never talked about my faith before on the podcast, and this is an episode where I reveal some stories about my own personal faith history. And third, I want to share with you, just before we get into this, how I framed this conversation, because I think it might help you gain an understanding and track with what may otherwise seem like a long-winded conversation. So there are two framing principles that continue to come up in Matthias's work and are also helpful for comprehension in general. The particular and the universal. So the particular refers to the personal lived experience of the topic at hand. So whenever Matthias talks about his story, or I tell a story, it's with the particular frame. Whenever we start discussing theology, psychology, God, the church, stages of development, broad LGBTQ categories, we're talking about the universal. So this is where there should be overlap between what we're talking about and what you've experienced understood, or encountered in culture. And this is when it should relate to everyone at some level. So my hope for this conversation was to understand some of the particularities of Matthias's story as a gay man of faith that could help us all broaden our own understanding of the gay community universally and ultimately lead us to a more compassionate, inclusive um, solidarity with those that consider themselves a a part of the queer community. So, in the words of the modern-day prophet Macklemore, when we oppress anyone, we oppress everyone. So here is Matthias Roberts. All right. Matthias Roberts. Yeah. In the house. I'm here. <laughs> so uh, this welcome to Hedgewood. Thank you. This is this is what we call our house. Hedgewood. Hedgewood. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, this is recent too. Yeah. But it, there's a story behind it and we used to have a hedge right out here. Okay. And we wanted to engage the neighborhood more and be more visible, so we tore down the hedge uh, and we started gardening out there. Yeah. And the wood is the the green space, yeah, you know that we've been restoring, right? So, uh, yeah, welcome. Thank you. It is so good to be here. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. Um, it's fun to have you over, and I can't believe yeah. you haven't been here before. I know. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I'm glad that it's finally happening. But, <laughs> and this is the first podcast that I've done here. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is new territory for me too. Yeah. Um, welcoming a guest into my home and then recording. Yeah. So this this is this is going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm excited. I don't know that I've ever done a podcast conversation in person. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. funny. So, yeah. because I it's, only do them in person. Really? Yeah. 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 I, I don't think I ever have. So this is a new experience. But. And you and you have your podcast, mm-hmm. Queerology. Queerology, yes. And you're pumping out those like... <laughs> yeah, every week. <laughs> I can't believe that. Like, I can't... I started that and it worked for about two weeks for yeah. me. <laughs> and yeah. then I'm like, I can't, yeah. I can't hang because it's so much work. It's so much work. I had no idea what I was getting into yeah. when I when I started it. And 
but I told myself, and I started it in the summer, so I was, I, I'm in school, and I, I um, had a little bit more free time yeah. at the time, so I was able to do it, but now that things have kind of started back up again, I'm like, it's a lot. But right. It's, do you, but you, I noticed that you um, have a season, like you're doing seasons. Yeah. So is there a game plan for like, end of season one or are you just kind of I'm just kind of going yeah. until I feel like I can't go anymore <laughs> and yeah. then we'll call that the end of season one and, totally. and see what happens well, I but, thought it was funny that you launched it like right after you, you graduated yeah. with your first degree mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right because you graduated with theology and culture yes mm-hmm. with Mary my wife yeah yeah and and you're getting with a counseling degree, counseling right? psychology, yeah. So you mm-hmm. get one more year to go, yeah. yeah. So why not launch a podcast called Queerology right in the middle of that? Yeah, I don't know. It was like I was, what I was sitting down with a friend having a conversation. She was talking about a podcast that she works on, uh, Rachel Clinton, uh, over at the Seattle School, and she was talking about it and the engagement and the conversations that have been coming out of it and it sounded so intriguing to me that mm-hmm. I was like, I kind of want to do this too. And so I, I like sat with it for a couple months. I mean, yeah. that conversation just kind of sat with me and was thinking about like, if I were do, to do a podcast, like what would I want to do? Yeah. And ultimately was like, yeah, I really want to do this and just decided to go for it. That's like, great. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had an idea and as the idea was forming, what, where did you come up with queerology, which by the way, I think is an awesome name. Thank you. I, I personally did not come up with it. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was sitting down in a bar with, uh, my friend Kelly, uh, telling her about like, I want to start a podcast and she has some experience in the audio world and I was trying to brainstorm names. And so we were brainstorming together and mm-hmm. she threw out queerology and the moment she said it, I was like, that is it. That is that's the podcast. That's and, awesome. Yeah. I love when um, you, you the ideas come out of um, cre- creative sessions or conversation yeah. with other people. Yeah. Because it's a reminder that you don't have to like come up with everything yourself. Right. Yeah. But you need to keep kind of putting it out there and testing your your, yeah. your ideas and, and bouncing them off and getting the feedback. Um, well, I've, I've listened to a couple of your episodes. Mm in preparation for this yeah and you're doing a great job thank you um I, you feel like i feel like you're a natural at conversation mm. and and so i think this is a great medium for that yeah i've been having so much fun with it like it feels i've i mean i've been blogging for like three three or four years now and i love i love writing but this podcasting world feels like it fits me so much better because mm-hmm. I get to like sit with people and be with people and mm-hmm. and I love that like yeah. there's something really it's it's like a more embodied practice I think than just sitting in front of my computer writing which is also embodied but yeah it has a different feel to it mm-hmm. way different mm-hmm. because I mean it's coming through your fingertips yeah um I have a hard time writing mm. um well, I think writing is hard. Yeah. I think yes. writing is, is very hard to <laughs> mm-hmm. begin with. Mm-hmm. But like to get what I actually want out on paper, it takes me a really long time. Yeah. 
but in conversation, I'm, I feel like there's energy that you're exchanging. And then, um, I- ideas and thoughts tend to come out naturally. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what I really love about doing this. Yeah. Yeah. It took me over a year, um, when I had kind of an idea, like an inkling that mm-hmm. I wanted to start podcasting. And mm-hmm. then it, it, yeah, it took about a year before mm-hmm. I pulled the trigger on it. And then mm-hmm. it was like, there's a series of events that kind of were like, oh, yep. Okay. Right. Now I have to do it. And then asking the first person, Joe, Joe Brewer, he was mm-hmm. in my car and he was talking my ear off. Yeah. I'm like, man, you're really interesting. You want to sit down behind the mic? And he's yeah. like, come over next week. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then so it begins, right? And right. then you end up on kind of this journey where it unfolds. Yeah. You know, one conversation after the next. And it's such a beautiful way to meet people too, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And learn. Like, I feel like, mm-hmm. I mean, half of why I do it is because I just want to have conversations with these people. Yeah, like, right. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a good excuse. Like, yeah. And yeah, I love, I love it. If it wasn't so loud in the pub... I would be trying to record these all the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Cause it's the best sitting around a table, mm-hmm. having some drinks and then, and then just really getting into some deep conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. That's the best place for good conversation is after a drink or two and, or with a drink or two. And, yeah. How have the, um, how has it just like technically have you, figured out how to do it where you're just going okay i've got to figure this out and then going one step at a time like you have to get registered on itunes right like there's all these different platforms and then you're like where do i put this thing out yeah that i mean i i had i had and still feel like i have no idea what i'm doing Mm -hmm. like and i have background in when i was in high school i did a lot of um I, i thought i was going to be a news reporter uh-huh. um and took a lot of there was our my high school had a uh, tv s- channel uh and had a news station and i did a lot of work with them so i had to do you know all my own video audio editing you know for making stories and all that so, so my i have a background in creation of of multimedia content mm-hmm. um so that side i was pretty comfortable with but like starting a podcast and like, how do you get it on iTunes? I, I yeah. ultimately just did a ton of research, asked around and just found a service that does it all for me. Oh and really? Yeah. I just <laughs> kind of pay them and what? they just do it. What? So yeah. <laughs> Cause I was like, I don't want to mess with it. Wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it must be worthwhile then. It is. Yeah. And it's, I mean, they're set up. It's not that expensive. It's, it works really well. Do they um, help you edit or they don't? Yeah, um, I do all that editing, that. but I've started thinking about hiring that out too. But uh, to me, that takes like a long time. Yeah. I don't even edit that much. Right. Of the conversations. Yeah. But I'm always looking for like the nugget, you mm-hmm. know, like the, the one thing that is kind of like the through line of the conversation that yeah. can be presented. And you kind of do this similar too at the beginning of your podcast. There's, right. There's, um, the guest is speaking and mm-hmm. it gives you a sense of who they are and you kind of get that first impression. Right. Um, but when you're talking about like t- a two hour recording, you mm. have to listen to that thing multiple times Yes. before you kind of gather it and then you have to write the abstract mm-hmm. and like, and then it's, yeah, it's way more work than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it's totally worth it. Like I feel, oh, yeah. I, I feel energized by it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I, I feel energized by this conversation that mm-hmm. we're having right now. Prepping for this conversation, I'm like, oh man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, what are we gonna talk about? Yeah. And yeah, and and tr- trying to be totally uh, respectful mm. and um, and even in like the subject matter that we're talking about today, right? I feel like um, I'm not totally schooled in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and then so I was talking to Mary last night. I'm like, um, well, hey, what should I talk to Matthias about? And and then she's like, I don't know. What are you thinking about? She you know, she threw it right back at me. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, well, I definitely want to talk about like language and mm. um, terminology and stuff. And she was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, you don't go and talk to somebody about a marginalized or an oppressed group of people mm. and ask them to educate you. And I'm yeah. like, crap. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm, th- I'm going to bomb. I'm like totally going to uh, bomb this yeah. conversation. <laughs> it, 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 so, so then I'm like, okay, great. You know, yeah. so then I get online and you know, I'm trying to like do research and stuff and I'm like, holy cow. Like yeah. there's so much, there's so much of this world out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, to, I mean, what would you even call this world or this domain that you're working in? That's, ooh, that's a good question. I think, I mean, I always say that I work with LGBT people of faith. Okay. Um, and I particularly locate that within Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, but not exclusively. I mean, that's kind of where, that's where I sit. That's where yeah. my bias leans towards because yep. I mean, that's the faith that I practice. But ultimately, like there are so many of us out there uh, who identify as people of faith and may not put other labels on it, uh, who are living at those intersections of, of a queer identity and, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what does it mean to be a person of faith in this world. Because so, for so long they've been worlds that have been told that they can't that they can't intersect, mm-hmm. and so trying to do work around around bringing those worlds together. Yeah, um, I noticed um, in some of your writing and in some of your conversations, you talk about the particular, yeah, and the universal, mm-hmm. and. I thought that that would be kind of a helpful way for us to um, frame this conversation. Yeah. So um, to talk about your story in Mm. particular Mm -hmm. and so that people can get to know you Mm -hmm. and know your experience. Yeah. And then if, if you can help bridge that, you know, to the universal Mm -hmm. so that it, it makes sense beyond the domain that you just described. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna lob a softball at you. Great. <laughs> um, you may have heard this question before, but how do you identify? Mm. And how has your faith tradition influenced and informed your identity? Yes, this is the question that I start off every episode with. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, and, and some of your guests are always like, well, Matthias, we want to hear your answer. Yes, yes. And so, I have never given that answer. So, um, yeah, well, I 
I identify as a cisgender gay white man. Uh, in my faith, it's it's hard for me to kind of separate the two because they're so both both of those so my my faith identity and then my my sexuality but i think even sexuality is a restricting term because it makes us think about sexuality when in reality a, a gay identity a queer identity is so much more than just sex um but but those two identities my faith and my sexuality are so core to my personhood uh to my understanding of the world, the way that I exist within it, uh, I, I think they they ident they inform and and relate with each other in a way that it it creates who I am. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, like I, I had those years of of trying to figure out how they fit together, of of knowing like because I I grew up in a very uh, faith-filled home mm -hmm. uh my parents uh like they worked at a christian camp growing up uh and that was that was my world i was in the church i was in evangelicalism i was every single day uh in that and then realizing that i was gay started realizing when i was around 11 i didn't have language for it at, mm -hmm. at the time but i knew something was different and um it wasn't changing and, and the process of figuring that out while holding alongside my faith, which at the time was telling me these two things can't coexist. Mm. Uh, but I never lost that faith. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know why, like it's, it's always been a continuous thread throughout my life that, mm -hmm. I feel like has existed in a way that is almost beyond, and I hate this because I'm, I'm not reformed by any means, but almost beyond a choice of my own, but it's just kind of there. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of the same with my sexuality. Like it's not a choice that I made. It's just there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't know if that answers that question. Well, but <laughs> you mean that you mean that like faith is, is sort of pulling you yeah, like more than, it is a, your choice to be a person of faith. Like it, you're saying you're, you are yeah. a person of faith mm -hmm. and there's something that was planted mm -hmm. within your tradition Yeah, that, that persisted. Yeah. Like I, I think as, as hard as I may work to move away from it, because there's definitely been those times mm -hmm. of, of like what why why am i holding on to this so strongly like when it has done so much damage in my mm -hmm. life and in the lives of others like I, there's something about the personhood of jesus and the particularity of of the trinitarian being that we call god mm -hmm. that is so intriguing and beautiful and, and I believe that that's, that all life flows from that. Uh, and 
to really dig into that and, and to see the, the deep beauty that's in there alongside the baggage. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't, you can't move anywhere without the baggage being there. It right. doesn't matter where you point or, right. or where you decide to step into. Mm-hmm. There's going to be baggage. Absolutely. So how do you, how do you step into it in, um, well, like a unitive way, mm-hmm. you know, non-dual. Right. How do you, you know, it's not good or bad. Right. It's not all good. Right. It's not all bad. Right. But it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's worth it to put your energy into it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, Matthias, I can relate to mm-hmm. um, the church. I mean, it's not as a, of a drastic, like, there's a big, there's a part of you that doesn't fit here. Right. And I think that's like a major difference. And I don't want to try and say that my story is similar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there, there, I, th- think that there is like with growing compassion and love mm-hmm. for the world, mm-hmm. those kinds of things start to um, become more apparent. Like you realize that there's been friction there mm-hmm. that you didn't even maybe know right when you were participating mm-hmm. in it. So it becomes sort of like the new edge, the new threshold for you to like cross and process mm-hmm. um, within the church. I grew up in the church twice twice on sunday yeah twice on sunday yeah yeah and if i don't go to church on sunday i'm going on a guilt trip Mm, absolutely (laughs) like still oh yeah oh yeah yeah (laughs) it's like wait a second (laughs) (laughs) that is a real thing (laughs) and but then it's like this is so much more than Mm -hmm. this is so much more than that yeah and then and then you know you don't want to um cast out the church Mm -hmm. or divide because then you're basically doing exactly what you were feeling, which is this division. Yeah. And then, and then going, okay, well, I'm going to take that same identity and start putting my own boundaries around things. Right. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about like, I feel like that's kind of a both, a both and kind of thing. Cause I, yeah, there's that need to, I think Rob Bell talks about like transcend and include, like mm. you move beyond, but you include everything from where you've come from with compassion and you hold that as a part of yourself, part of your shape and part of your identity. So there's that on one hand. Yes. And I, I'm thinking about one of my psychology professors talking about how splitting is a developmental uh, achievement. Okay. And you have to be able to split which means cut off parts of yourself, cut cut out parts of those things that have been hurtful that you don't want to identify with. You have to be able to do that before you're able to re-include it again. Uh, hmm. So if it feels like that both and process of where some of us are on that process of where we're splitting and we need to be splitting. Mm-hmm. And I think others of us are moving into re-including um mm-hmm. but i don't think either one is we need both and yeah because you can't have you can't split if it, you can't you can't go through that process without actually going through every stage right do you do you read roar Richard a little roar? bit yeah a little uh-huh. i really like his work yeah um 
and I appreciate like his daily emails mm. that, that come through. And one of his like process principles is um, order, disorder, reorder. Mm. Mm-hmm. And like you can't, you there's no direct flight from order to reorder. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately. Right. Because we all want that. We mm-hmm. all want to go. Just give, give me the solution. Right. Right. Know, and I'm I'm in. Yeah. Um, expand my consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll go there. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> but it's the lived experience. Yeah. Right. It's mm-hmm. the you have to walk through the fire in order to to know it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, when you were talking about splitting, um, it just made me think about your whole experience as becoming um, a counselor mm-hmm. and how psychology has kind of informed your faith or theology. Yes. Can you articulate some of the things that you've been learning over the last few years that ha- have been you know, things that are sticking with you? Mm-hmm. I never thought that I would even touch psychology. Like when I was an undergrad, we had, you know, we had to have, I was a graphic design major, but we had to have a psych credit because it's liberal arts. And, and, um, I like petitioned out of, uh, my intro to psych class and took another class that was kind of psychology, but not really. And like, it was something that I wasn't really very interested in. I could care less about Freud and, mm-hmm. and, you know, all of the early, the early masters of that, of that world. And, uh, moved to Seattle, just planning on getting a degree in theology and culture. Where and did you move from? I moved from Arkansas. No way. Yeah. I'll have to ask um, you about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So moved from Arkansas and, came to the Seattle school and within the first few months of being there, multiple people started asking me like, Matthias, have you ever considered being a therapist, being a counselor? And I was like, no, like I've never even thought of it. Never crossed my mind, but it just kept coming up again from people at the school, which I've since realized like that's a common question at the school, but people at the school, but then people in my outside life uh, who had no idea that I was going to a school that had a a counseling psychology program started asking me, have you considered this? And something that I often do is if if something's coming up a lot in my life, if a question is coming up a lot, I like try to start paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. Like once I realize, like, wait a second, like this is a theme that's popping up. Like I should maybe do something with this. And, so I sat down with a friend over, I think it was our winter break. And it was like, this question is coming up. Here are all the reasons why I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And she kind of like shot down every one of those reasons <laughs> with like, cause she knew me pretty well. And, and at the end of that conversation, I was like, yeah, like I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Whoa. And good friend. Yeah. <laughs> Great friend. And I, and I haven't regretted it because a, it's given me a language and an understanding of what happened in my own life. Uh, it, but And B, like doing the work that I'm doing of trying to heal and and not heal in 
like a savory kind of way, mm-hmm. but like of, of trying to create spaces of for healing uh, within the LGBT world that has been deeply damaged by religion. Mm-hmm. It's given me an understanding of what what is actually going on psychically within us when we get rejected, when our families turn against us, when our churches turn against us, like what, what is actually happening? And so in regards, I think in regards to the way I practice my faith, it's the, uh, there's this, there's this new kind of pioneering term of research, which is not going to sound new because it's rooted in Buddhism and, and anxious, anxious, ancient Buddhism practices of, of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's this researcher named Dr. Kristen Neff who uh, started doing qualitative and quantitative research around practices of self-compassion within the world of a, as a tool for psychologists and, and therapists and counselors to work with clients. Uh, and if anything, I feel like that word self-compassion kind of encapsulates this journey for me because I've learned to be a lot more compassionate for myself mm-hmm. and in turn, hopefully to everyone else around me. And I think kind of going back to that idea of including, including our past selves, uh, being able to take those in and look at them of with compassion instead of rejection. Cause I think we often try to reject those parts of ourselves, the mm-hmm. old parts of ourselves that, that we don't like or where we were hurt or that's, that's not me anymore. Um, but to say like, no, like that is me and I've moved beyond that. I'm, I'm different than that. And that's been really beautiful work. Mm-hmm. Um, did it sounds like some of that is the the processing of like the whole first year at the Seattle school? <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my wife Mary, yeah, just graduated with you, right? In theology and culture too, yeah. But it was that it was that first year that was. Um, there was a, a lot of splitting. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In that first year. And it's like, you know, the owning your own story thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been really good for her. Yeah. And it for, um, for us as a couple, too, I had been involved in a leadership program that was mm. psychology-based. Mm. That had me kind of digging in these areas too and like mm-hmm. so I was doing a little bit of my own personal work too yeah. and some of the same like psychology was like overlapping so all of a sudden we had the stuff to, to talk about and discuss so it was really yeah. rich for us yeah too because we had you know been married for um what 12 years already mm-hmm. but we hadn't ever kind of you know done the, the work of right um you know dealing with your own story and then mm-hmm. and then through it you you end up in this place of self-compassion yeah uh, if you've 
if you've done the processing. Yeah. Because, I mean, there are still parts of my story that I'm like, oh. not compassionate. Right. Yet. Absolutely. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 100%. Still angry. <laughs> yep. Haven't yeah. moved beyond that phase yet. <laughs> right? Of course. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. So how do you see that um, intersecting with faith? Like psychology and faith mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it sort of like ignited like more ideas about uh, being human. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It, it, I, th- I think why, the thing that draws me so much to the Christian tradition, I think, is because of how embodied of a faith it can be, how human of a faith it can be uh when when we talk about like the incarnation of of jesus becoming a human and being fully human Mm -hmm. uh like i love that i love kind of the gritty earthiness that can that can be found within within certain parts of of the christian faith practice um I think I, I think of uh, Karen Armstrong, who's uh, a historian and researcher. Uh, who she's she grew up Catholic, uh, and is now an atheist. But she's one of the leading leading researchers around faith that's out there right now. She writes about kind of three major monotheistic faith traditions uh, and their histories, and has really fascinating perspectives on them. But, but she writes about how the mark of all, I I can't remember her exact words, but kind of the mark of all good religion is whether it leads you into compassion or not. Hmm. Uh, Which I I think is beautiful. Like I think getting into those conversations of like pluralism or, or whatever, like I think what, whatever you're doing, if it's not leading you into that state of compassion for yourself and for others, like what, what are you doing? Like, I think that's the work mm-hmm. uh, and and I and I found psychology to be a really helpful tool in that of learning you know there's so much about our lives that we don't have control over mm-hmm. of these psychic processes of there's just kind of like these are the hands of cards that have been dealt to you. And of course you're going to develop these quote unquote unhealthy patterns because of the cards that have been dealt. And, and we can't blame people for that. We can't. And there's so much, I think in, I think the faith circles that I grew up in, there's so much onus on personal choice uh, which I still think is really important in, in agency, but but there's also so much outside of that that we uh, the aspect of judgment mm-hmm. that kind of we always claim like no we're not judging people only God can do that but it's like yeah we're we're judging people um, <laughs> <laughs> and. In psychology has, has kind of flown in and, and flown in my face a lot of those judgments I think that I made about of people and their and their again quote unquote poor choices of 
of course they're choosing that because that's the only way they can survive. Mm-hmm. And, and then how do we work with that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, when you talk about judgment, you know, you're talking about the external, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about looking at what's around you and then coming to a conclusion. Yeah. About really if it's right or wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then naming it as, as, as right or wrong. Yeah. That's not coming from a place of compassion. No. That's mm-hmm. coming from a place of I've learned um, a rule set and now I'm applying that rule set as my own. Yeah. Is, that, is that kind of how you, you see it? I, th- I think so, yeah. Of Again, I think to, I'm thinking of, of the Gospels where Jesus goes around kind of the Pharisees are, and the spiritual leaders of his time are, are doing very similar things, applying these rules that mm-hmm. they've learned to different people. And, and almost every time Jesus walks in and is like, wait a second, like this is a person yeah and he treats people like people um and that's a that's a very different kind of way of of doing religion mm-hmm. i think uh, it's, there's that rules based approach yeah that legalism that you can and can't do these things and if you fall outside these boundaries and you can't be this yeah uh, and then there's there's the way of being uh I, I think the way of jesus of of stepping into the fullness of who we were created to be um i think i think those are two very different things yeah and it's ironic that when you look at the jesus story he's really mostly critiquing the religious leaders yes who are coming from that place yeah we're like hey everybody this these are rules yeah like don't don't go outside the rules and then hey you did a great job at like kind of pulling the curtain back Mm -hmm. oh wait there's actually a lot more here going on yeah it's not just rules it's actually rules that allow them to continue in their place of power yes yes <laughs> and, and control yep. of everything that's going on and then i think about like where we're at now and i'm like we're we haven't changed yeah no like it's the same storyline that continues mm-hmm. to happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so so that's where well two things i feel like we you need to, to you won't you won't cast judgment on somebody mm. when you've come to terms with your own stuff. And like when you have that self-compassion, I'm not saying that'll never happen. Right. I'm saying that you, you are starting to move through the world in a way where um, you're inclusive. Yeah. You're just inclusive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not about um, boundaries or, or walls or rules. And, right. And then you're and you're inclusive and then you actually can start actually being a loving person to everybody and mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and I forgot what I was gonna say second. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Um well it just 
it makes me think about the church now because I mean this is your a lot of it is your audience right these are people in who call themselves I mean actually help me out here yeah because there's the faith and church are completely like different categories in my mind yeah yeah I think so I think yeah I think I think it's like I, I kind of think about like capital C church and lowercase C church okay. uh, and lowercase church being like a community that gathers on Sundays or whatever in a building. Like, and I think there's the capital C church that is, that Jesus talks about of, of the community of believers, the people who are, who fellowship together, who, um, who exist within, it's, it's a much larger community. Uh, so I'd say yes, probably the people who listen to my podcast are, I would say most, I don't know for sure, but most would probably consider themselves to be in some sort of faith tradition and therefore I would say part of the capital C okay. church. Not everyone would say that, but, um, but I also think a lot of people who listen to my podcast probably don't go to church on Sunday mm-hmm. because it's not a safe place for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to find it in other places. Hmm. That's rough, man. Yeah. Like when you think about what the church is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, like when I think about that, it's completely mind blowing mm. and horrific mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's hurting so many people. Yeah. It's the worst to not be included. Right. It's the worst feeling. Yeah. Um, what's the state of the union here? Like, with <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <It's sighs> I mean, we're making some progress, yes, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. There's progress being made. We, um, so we belong to, a church in Madrona. Okay. Um, part of the Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. I've never even talked about this on the podcast. Huh, huh. I mean, I don't, um, yeah, I've never even talked about religion or my own. Faith, right. But right. yeah, this has been a, a church that we've been a part of. Um, and just to back, give you a little bit of background, we were really inspired to go there. Um, we've, we sort of, re-entered our faith after after college in a, when we were living on the south side of Chicago. Mm. And we started going to a mostly black church. Mm. And I'm a musician and singer. Mary sings too. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't pursue it as actively as I do. But then we, we got on, we were part of the gospel choir. So we were participating in the worship. Mm-hmm. And this was a community where we'd go on Sunday and people would come in and say, my cousin got shot in the head and was killed last week. Mm. And then they would sing the next song. Mm. And for me, that was so real and piercing mm-hmm. of what is going on and how much pain. Right. And that that person would actually um, be able to show up and sing a song on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it blew my mind. Yeah. And, and that's where I I feel like I I took kind of a step deeper into it and was like, 
you know, there's way more happening here that's holding this all together. Yeah. And and I need to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. And and then when we when we moved out to Seattle, we were looking for a similar community. Mm-hmm. And Flora Wilson Bridges, African American woman, fiery preacher. Mm. She she Mary had heard her speak at Seattle Pacific University. And then she was pastoring this church, and, mm. and then we went there, and I was like, "Yeah, we're going here." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah this is good. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, but all that to say, it's it's um, open and affirming, mm-hmm. and that was super important for us, right? As a part of the like, we're we're gonna do everything we can, but then you know, as you dig deeper into like the Presbyterian denominations, like oh. Yeah, there's there's a lot of baggage here too that still needs to be worked on, and just even the way that the the structure of the church is and how the church is run, it's right. pretty rigid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but then, I guess we focused on like the people, right, and the community, mm-hmm. and like kind of that under underlying current mm-hmm. that kept us going there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had, I, I remember specifically, we um, ordained the first African-American male, mm. gay male, mm. in that church. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems so just right. Right. I mean, it just... I mean, this, um, this man is so like, beautiful as an individual mm-hmm. and brings so much depth right. and wisdom mm-hmm. and leadership in that community. Mm-hmm. It only makes sense. Right. It, it, and um, so anyway, I share that just as kind of to share my experience. Right. Um, and just kind of the overlap there. Right. Yeah, and you, I mean you're right. Like things, things are changing. Like they absolutely are. And I also, I also realize like I get stuck in a bubble here in Seattle, mm. and and when I go back out into the Midwest, I realize like I mean there are things that are changing there too, very much so. But it's like there's still a lot of work to be done. And yeah. still a lot of people who cannot even comprehend that it's possible to be gay and Christian, LGBT and Christian. Like you just have to move to Seattle. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Everybody> like, <laughs> <out>. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if if only that were possible. Right, and but I think for, I, I think of all those, especially those kids who are out there in those mm-hmm. in those spaces who are realizing like there's something about me that's different and then are being told that those two identities can't coexist. It's heartbreaking. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's, I, I often hesitate to use the word evil. Like I, I believe in, I believe in the presence of evil in our world. Um, and I think that's one of the main ways that it, or a way that it manifests itself is, is in those spaces of, of telling especially queer people that they cannot be a part of, hmm. of faith communities. Um, 
I think that's the way that evil has infiltrated the church. Yeah. And yeah. Cause it leads to death. And, and I think if, if we want to get into scripture <laughs> sure, and, and passages of like the wages of sin is death. And when we have these kids who are dying at rates way higher than, than the larger population, it's not them. Right. It's not, it's just what they're being told. Mm. And, and that is evil. And, mm. When you talk about physical death, you're talking about physical death. Physical death, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, by suicide? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are we talking primarily suicide? We're talking primarily suicide, yeah. Yeah. But then also death. I mean, I think of uh, that's specifically like a lot of gay and lesbian kids, the transgender community, like this death by murder, like. I mean, that happens over and over and over and over and over again, um, fueled by a lot of times religion. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm not welcome in this world. Yeah. How oh, it's, that's awful. Mm-hmm. And you think about the energy that like our country spends on, uh, wars or like protecting mm-hmm. from outsiders mm-hmm. and we're dying from the inside. Yeah. Yes. Way more people dying from suicide mm-hmm. than from violence or absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, do you get out like around the country and talk to these folks a little bit? I mean, that's not, <sighs> that's not work that I love doing. Like, I don't, I don't love the, the stepping into spaces that are more hostile and trying to convince people that I am a Christian. Like, that's just, I, I did that for a while. That's gotta be (laughs) And there are other people who are doing that work who are more called to it and more patient and, and better equipped for that. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I've moved more towards helping LGBT people of faith understand that they're not alone so they can live fulfilling lives. Mm. Like that's, that's the work I want to be doing and doing constructive theology instead of defensive theology. And there's a place for both, Uh but yeah, more constructive of of how do we live as queer people of faith? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and how do you reach those up and coming kids? Yeah, and how do you get that the word out? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I could see. There's yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in making that choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because those conversations can be very costly because you're you're having to defend your personhood uh-huh. in a way that. It, just, it costs a lot. Those yeah. conversations do. Yeah. And when you say cost, what do you mean by that? I think I'm, I'm thinking about like, uh, when someone comes to me with a handful of scripture 
uh, is telling me like who I am is is sinful is is evil. I've heard that word is blasphemous. Is I'm going to hell. I'm a false prophet. I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, they're words, but they have an emotional an emotional cost to them at a yeah. toil. Um, um, and to have to be able to, to root firm in who I am and my identity and in my faith and fight back and to try to, it's, it turns into a war of convincing, a, a war of, of, mm-hmm. of trying to fight for my place when there's not, I mean, I, I definitely have ground to stand on, but when the other person won't even consider that I'm standing on ground, like that's, it, it it's exhausting. Yeah. Mm. And draining. And yeah, it doesn't seem like the right venue. Right. For the conversation because it's not safe. Right. And, and it's rarely a conversation. Right. You're, you're not going to get here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Matthias, you're going to do some listening now? <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what it is. Mm. I wrote a piece a few years ago called I Don't Want Your Unconditional Love. And it, it's all about that experience of being asked to coffee by someone. And then sitting down, there's a Bible on the table and, and no, no, it's like, you know where this is going. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like staring at a wall the entire time and, and someone saying like, I love you unconditionally and I love you so much that I have to tell you this hard truth about your life. And no matter what I say, no matter what I say, I'm the one who's wrong they're the one who's right. They're reaching out to me, doing their Christian duty. Like, and I think I'm hearing some cynicism in my voice, but because there's cynicism there yeah. of like, and it's just, then they kind of get up and leave and then there's no investment in, in me. There's, so they're right. I'm wrong. They're reading scripture the correct way. There's no way that I could be reading it correctly. And that's not work that I want to do. I don't want to have to fight for my place because I know I have a place and, and I'm grateful for the people who are doing that work and who are doing that fighting because it still needs to be done. Um, but I would much rather look at not trying to pull people up to where I'm at and convince people that where I'm at is an okay place. I'd much rather look forward and say for those of us who hold these identities, how do we live lives that are faithful mm. um, and fulfilling and beautiful and with fullness? Like yeah. that's the work I'm into. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Oh man. It, how often are you just talking about belonging? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's such a relief to know that you belong. Yeah. And everybody does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Man, I'm sorry they had to sit down across the table with, <laughs> with, with whoever that was. Yeah. Um, let's let's jump back a little bit into um, your upbringing. You yeah. mentioned it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Arkansas. Yeah, Arkansas is where I did my undergraduate work. Um, did so in in your first year at sales school? Did you read The Earth Is Enough? I did. Yes. Because that's based? It is. In, yeah, in the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas. Um, I fell in love with that book. Me too. And so much so that I um, released an EP named mm. Elias Wonder after mm. that character. I love that. <laughs> the Native American <laughs> character. Yeah. Because he was such a prophet and just... Um, so attuned to the land and he yeah. was the one where everybody was like you know he was the outcast right right right, right. and so in so many ways mm-hmm. but yet he was the one with the, the wisdom and right um yeah and when i think i've only been to arkansas once mm-hmm. um what was it like for you is anything like that book i mean was it was it rural uh i lived in I would say most of Arkansas is rural, <laughs> but I lived in uh, uh, <laughs> a fairly well-developed part of Northwest Arkansas. Uh, and, you know, I think when people hear Arkansas, immediately things fly into their minds and, uh-huh. and, and ideas. And I was the same way. I, I grew up in Iowa. Uh, and I remember I, I went to John Brown University which often gets confused with Bob Jones University, but they're very different schools. Okay. Uh, and, uh, but I remember the first time I heard about John Brown, I think I was a freshman in, in high school. And I thought if, if there's one school that I never go to, and if there's one state that I never move to, it is that school in that state. Like, <laughs> I will, I will never go to John Brown University in Arkansas <laughs> like ever. Sure enough, I ended up there. <laughs> Uh, but honestly, like that, I feel like JBU was really those first steps into living a fuller life. And it was exactly what I needed at the time of, yeah. because I, I, I started seeing a therapist and I went in because I grew up believing that I had to change. Uh, that I had to become straight or that was, that would be God's will uh, for my life. And uh, so I started, I school offered free, free counseling uh, for their students. And, and so I was like, you know what? I want to, I want to try this. And then in my intake form, I was like, I want to get rid of my same sex attractions. Like that was kind of my goal. And thankfully, I wound up with a therapist who has done work in this area before uh, and not from a reparative therapy standpoint, which I'm so grateful because uh, that could have gone that could have gone south really quickly. <laughs> uh, and in our first session, we looked at uh, this wasn't a choice that I made because I kind of came in with this. I, I'd always thought, like, even though I don't ever remember making a conscious choice 
to be gay, the narrative within the world that I grew up with in was that it's a choice. And so I thought mm-hmm. I must have chosen this somehow. Uh, and, and my therapist was like, we worked on like, no, like this wasn't a choice that you made. And he was like, this usually never goes away. Like, and so he said, our focus in, in this therapy is going to be not how do we change this, but how do you live as a, as a faithful Christ follower with this in mind? And I remember walking out of that session with like a weight off my shoulders of like, you're right, I didn't choose this. And it, it was a mix of like relief and also like disappointment of like, wait, like what do you mean I have to deal with this for the rest of my life? But those were the first steps of like stepping into like being able to celebrate who I am instead of hold it as this thing that is wrong with me. Um, what a gift. Yeah. And almost like foreshadowing to you for like your vocation. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at that point I hadn't told really anyone like my parents knew one other person knew like your parents knew my parents knew. Did you tell them when I was 15? They found out. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't exactly. A <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So my parents knew and one other person knew at the time, but my thought at the time was no one would ever find out. Like I would, it would be a secret for oh, my man. whole life and, and I didn't want anyone to know. Hmm. Now I have a podcast called Queerology. <laughs> now you want everyone to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, are your parents supportive? Have, were they? Um, I mean, I think I don't want to just skip right over that. Right. I mean, to me that seems like the it's your core right Mm -hmm. it's it's your family yeah um i mean i i remember my dad saying to me don't get anyone pregnant Mm. and don't come home gay yeah Mm mm-hmm and that was all the advice i got yeah (laughs) on everything right and and not to this my dad i love my dad Mm mm-hmm um, but that, that was just like, it's something I remember. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I th- yeah. And that's definitely the world that I grew up in too. And it is still the world that is there. Like when I go back to the Midwest, like, and just to put it simply like, no, my parents aren't supportive. Um, they're doing the best that they absolutely can. And I know that they deeply love me mm-hmm. and, and, um, we've made some progress over the last 11 years, but this part of me, no, they're not supportive. Mm. Yeah. That's hard. It is. So after the counseling session, Mm -hmm. my weight's lifted and the world becomes a different place. And 
the way that you're yeah. experiencing yourself. Yeah. Very slowly. I mean, it was, it, I think from that first day of therapy to me being like comfortable in my own skin hmm. was a six or seven year process. Um, it was a very slow, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was a very slow process of undoing all the messages that I had been told, uh, and then relearning and, and re reworking and, and refinding mm-hmm. myself. Like, yeah, my experience of anything transformative is that something sparks it. Yeah, and then there's it's a long road. Uh huh. Yeah, and there's a lot of learning. So much learning, and and I had spent from the time that I realized that I was attracted to men, like that became my world of like trying to hide. trying to hide and and it was all encompassing like it took so much energy it took all of that was like that was I wrote in I wrote in a piece of of how I think that narrative of of you have to change turn sexuality into an idol Um, and I think it does because it, it my sexuality was all I could think about and, mm. and, and trying to figure out of how do I present as straight? How do I, pre- how do I fit myself into this box so that no one finds out? So then I can be perceived as quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really able to do much else. So then to be able to accept and, and learn and, and say like, no, like this is part of who I am. And then to start looking at, well, like, who am I as a person? Like, what do I actually believe about this faith that I say I follow, I practice? And it, it there's this term of, like, second adolescence within a lot of the queer community of of where we, we don't go through that phase of, of adolescence, of self-discovery, of and a lot of times it, re- it relates to dating, but I feel like it's, it's much bigger than that too. We don't go through that at the same time as everyone else does, but it happens to us. It kind of hits once we accept our identity. Uh, and so for some people it like hits in their mid twenties, some people in their thirties of having to refigure out how to go through the world in ways that, it seems like a lot of other people figured out while they were in high school. Mm. Um, and I think I'm still in that phase of, mm-hmm. of trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Well, um, first of all, the, the, the straight people in high school, they don't have to figure out. <laughs> they don't really have to figure anything out. Right. Like they're just sort of, cause they're already included in what, in mainstream right yeah so it's just like blow by that right and there's i don't know how much processing there is but Mm -hmm. they just can skate through it Mm -hmm. um but this process of self-discovery and like identity 
Mm-hmm. I'm sort of coming to terms with like that. It's that is the work that we do all of our life. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there are phases. What? Who? It doesn't matter who you are, mm. but you've you, like you you are going to be somebody different, right? In the future. Oh yeah. From now. Right. Right. It's sort of it's like a basic like evolutionary or development right. ki- kind of process, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, you're talking about um, a specific adole- the adolescent phase, yeah, of like figuring out their sexuality, and mm-hmm. then um, did you study development in school? A little bit, I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. It brings up like, can you be in like future phases of human development, even though like this part is stunted or is it like, yeah. And I wonder about that because, because you have people who are, you know, in their twenties and their thirties who are going through more primitive developmental phases. Mm -hmm. Like, And that's something that I'd be fascinated in studying more because yeah. I haven't seen a lot of research around that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I would imagine it's probably a both and of like where some things do develop normally and then other things don't, and, and yeah. you just kind of hold that all together. And like, yeah, I don't know. And and that's research that I don't know thankfully that necessarily needs to be done as much anymore because we because this the the generation that's in high school right now is the first generation in some places not all places but in some places for lgbt people to be going through adolescence at the same time as their peers yeah because it's accepted because they're accepted and they're able to do that work wow and hopefully that trend continues of where we won't need to figure out why LGBT people are having to do this work later on in their life because there won't be that necessity. Yeah. So there, there's a, um, there's some progress there. Yeah. That's, that's awesome to hear. Mm -hmm. That does bring up a question that, um, I'm just curious about. I don't know if, if there's anything out there, but if you look at, um, like human development in different cultures over Mm. like the history of humanity, yeah, were there points in time where we were a a little bit more evolved on this issue or were there, were there cultures specifically that were inclusive that, um, that did this better than we're doing it now? And can we look to those to re, cover some Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. or or are we just like totally on like a new threshold here i'm not as well educated in this as i maybe should be um so i'll preface with that the cultures that that i'm aware of that were more advanced in these areas think have been indigenous Mm -hmm. people groups especially around the concept of two-spirit people uh and ideas of gender being much more fluid uh 
I don't know much more than that. <laughs> Two spirit people. That's really yeah. fascinating. Um, yeah. And that, that was, from what I understand, that was seen as a gifting, a blessing. Mm-hmm. They probably wouldn't have used that exact language because that's probably more Christian language, but um, they did have these concepts. And also, uh, as a researcher named Megan DeFranza points out in her book, um, gosh, now I'm blanking on her book, uh, Sex Difference in Christian Theology. She points out how early Jewish people uh, had, it was either four or six different categories for gender, uh, whereas we only have two. Uh, and that's very much rooted in in that Jewish tradition of where there was, there was acknowledgement of, of intersex people, of people mm. who uh, are, don't fit into the binary of male and female Mm -hmm. that was very present within some early Jewish communities. So yes. And I think as uh, I heard James Allison, who's a uh, theologian, Catholic uh, contemporary theologian uh, who is also gay. And he, he talked I went to an event with him a, a couple years ago and he talked about kind of through the history of from like Jesus's time up to where we are now of because of the way social structures were LGBT people were kind of able to hide. I mean, a, it wasn't really very accepted, but the ways that men and women were kind of segregated uh, throughout so much of the last 2000 years, yeah. there was a lot more ways to fly under the radar okay. and not as much need to kind of come out in the way that we think about it today. Oh, that's interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and so I think people talk about how like queer identity is such a recent phenomena. Yeah. Uh, I've heard, I've heard that of like, this has only come up within like the last, 50 years, a hundred years, whatever. Uh, and it's like, yeah, there's a reason for that. It's because we've made progress as a culture and society yeah. as, as a whole of where men aren't men and women aren't being as segregated. Yeah. And we're starting to realize like, well, wait a second. Like there are some men who are attracted to men and some women who are attracted to women and, that I think is a societal developmental achievement. Like, yeah. So it's that yes and no of, uh, I think evolution of humanity Mm -hmm. and our understanding. And yes, there were some cultures who hadn't a better grasp than we do. No, that is helpful. Um, I just read something recently about uh, preaxial consciousness, Mm -hmm. which was like 800 BC Mm. where, cultures the world over kind of saw this interconnectivity yeah and this union with everything Mm. and they practiced that with song and dance Mm -hmm. and poetry and um through nature Mm -hmm. like everything was so and and it reminds me when you said you know two-spirit people the indigenous cultures had it write a lot of it right a long time ago right which is that okay there is there is this connective tissue that you you call god yeah 
you know, that, that connects us all. And, but these are the way that poetry, you know, dance and singing, these are the way that you practice or celebrate this together. Mm -hmm. And then during the time when you were saying, um, there was enough segregation, Mm -hmm. that's when there was, I think a lot of splitting happening. Mm -hmm. And there was also this, um, enlightened consciousness too. It is also when all of the major religions yeah. of the world today mm-hmm. were formed. Right. So there was something else going on um, that created um, a new awareness, and there, there wasn't an enlightenment. Um, but my overall sense is, and this is my in- interpretation, I'm totally dumbing this down, and I'm not <laughs> quoting anybody because I can't remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like we started to get into our heads. Yeah. And we started to do a lot of, um, we started to lose a lot of that, um, union mm-hmm. and 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 like the poetry and the singing and the dancing and the stuff that everybody did right everybody did now it's just now we're, our culture is so rigid mm-hmm. and and we're all and even with technology now i mean we're all kind of going um inward yeah and and now we're moving into this kind of new consciousness where these things are coming together yeah where you know we you have the contemplative mind mm-hmm. that's that kind of can um absorb or right. like transcend all mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. all of that into a new way where you're recovering the union right you're recovering that that sense of everything belongs mm-hmm. and um and we're moving into, you know, a, a new era of consciousness that is way more inclusive. Yeah. That to me gives me hope mm-hmm. because it's, it's not like it's because it expands it to the whole planet. Right. Like there's a consciousness on the whole planet that's moving this way. And I think mm-hmm. I said technology and I was using it in a way that was negative, but technology has also been very positive. Oh yeah. You know, in the way that it connects, like what the work that you're doing right. connects all of these people and you don't have to be there. Right. You don't have to go in the hostile environments. You can use right. the technology to touch and get the conversation going. Yes. And, and rise the tide together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that whole um, looking back, like in having a longer kind of sense of time, mm-hmm. I find is really helpful for me. Yeah. In in processing what's going on and and allowing to step back and sort of have the big the big picture. Right. And then combined with the particular, I think right. I think that is what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a rant. (laughs) (laughs) A good one. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, where are we at with this thing? I noticed, I, I want to mention this because I noticed, um, you use the term liminal space. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And and that's something that's uh, like it it's some it's like a, I actually call my company Lyman. Okay. Which is a Latin root. Um, the root. Yeah. You know, for liminal, which mm-hmm. is just below mm-hmm. the threshold. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of this idea that um, there's always the next threshold. Right. Always the next one. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's that was a word that I was introduced to when I first came to Seattle school was liminal mm. space, the spaces of becoming of of the the kind of undercurrent of energy there that, that are in those spaces and in between and I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a beautiful concept and I think I think those are spaces that we all exist within and then move from I think we move from liminal space to liminal space often but yeah it's yeah yeah and we do it personally yeah you know and then we're doing it on a macro level as well right um and you know this this podcast is called the emerging future yeah and and kind of the through line is the it's curiosity mm. compassion and and courage mm. Those are kind of the three qualities that I've seen when combined mm-hmm. um, cre- cultivate and cultivate a, um, a fertile ground for creativity and for movement. Yeah. And I see, I mean, you embody those, mm-hmm. all three of those, which is why I wanted to have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Um, yeah, you're welcome. I mean, you're definitely a curious person. You don't just do a podcast if you're not curious. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, let's just figure this out. Yeah. And compassion, I think, is just, I mean, it's at the core of of the work that you're doing. Mm. And it takes so much courage to take your story and your experience and to own it. Yeah. Um, so thank, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This isn't over by the way. It kind of feels (laughs) like we're getting, no. So my question is where are we going? Like Mm. what is our hope for the future now within this conversation? What is the emerging future right now? Mm Mm-hmm in the present that you're sensing because you're providing leadership in this space. Right. And, um, you know, what, what do you sense there? Yeah. I think I sent, I think I sense a couple of things of a, I think we're still kind of just at the very beginning of this wave of affirmation. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, you know, this kind of, here in our, in our Seattle bubble, we're kind of already past that wave, but I think in, in the middle parts of our country, that wave is starting to kind of crash in. And, and I think we'll continue to see the energy of people becoming affirming people mm-hmm. re looking at their theology and realizing that their theology is deeply damaging and then changing. Mm. And so I think that's, that's something that is, has happened and is happening. And I also see this kind of, these kind of future spaces that are, are moving into, and I feel like this is kind of the work that I'm working on doing is like that question of how do we live as queer people of faith? Um, yeah. Which also is the question of how do we live as people of faith? Yeah. Uh, and I think, 
it's that there's that particular what we're talking about the particularity and the universal like i think that particularity of queer person of faith will never go away yeah but there's also that universal element of once we're more included in the church we're part of the church and and some of those lines might become a little bit more fuzzy into mm-hmm. looking at like what is the church and, and how are we living as, as people of faith, just in general, as, as in all of our particularities uh, mm-hmm. within our faith communities. And so I see, I see big movement towards that, like moving away from the conversation of can these identities be held together and into like, of course they're held together. Now what, what do we do with that? Yeah. What, what's next? Yeah. Yeah. You you know, um, what else can we just, um, would be helpful if we just sort of take off the table right now? Right. Mm -hmm. These things aren't helpful. You know, let's, let's move on beyond that. Right. Is there, um, is there anything else besides what you just named that you can say, this isn't helpful Mm. and this is still going on a lot. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, and this might be a re a rewording of kind of what I've already said, but I think Nadia Boltz Weber talks about like who Nadia Boltz Weber. She's a pastor in Denver, okay. uh, written several books. You'd probably really like her work. Hmm. She's incredible. Uh, but, but she says in a video about, cause she is a, a very open and affirming church, uh, called the house for all sinners and saints. Uh, and, um, she, she says, she's like, queer people are already part of the church. They're already being used by God. Um, she's like, yes. are you going to get with it or not? <laughs> like the question is whether you're going to see that work or not. Mm. It's your problem. Not I like that's problem. Turn Me too. Yeah. Just like, just open up your eyes and see yeah. what God's already doing. Uh, and it's like, yeah, we're, we are part of the church. We're here we're claiming our space and that's where we're at. And like, we're, I, I know I'm personally done with people telling me that I, that I can't do this. Cause I'm like, I'm doing it. And, um, Oh, it's already happening. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I know you don't like it, but like, oh, you should have told me that like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> too bad. Like, <laughs> It's not, it's not, for you to decide as to whether I'm, I am a part of this, this movement of God or not. Oh, I am. Yeah. oh, I love that. Um, and it, and it brings up this idea of just movement. And I, when you said movement, um, I think of a movement towards compassion mm-hmm. and it's like, this is a movement towards compassion in a more compassionate life. Yeah. Do you want to be a part of that or? Right. Or not. Or not. Yeah. Really, though. And yeah, and I think it's easy to get bogged down in the theology, which I think is deeply important. Mm-hmm. But you, when you miss the forest for the trees, I mean, right. it's like, like, no, like we see, we see the work of God in this movement all over the place, the hand of God. Like, yeah the the spirit whatever you want to call it like it's here 
it's here it's everywhere yeah it's moving um when you said theology I was, it made me think of just the um so th- theology is the study of god right mm-hmm. so queerology is the study of queer yeah yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. that's great yeah and that's i mean my goal with the podcast is i mean to have conversations with people who are doing that work and are holding their identities alongside their faith identity mm-hmm. and and studying what it means to be queer within their within their particular context and yeah um i love your conversation with jennifer knapp yeah uh because she's been in the cd player yeah for quite some time oh yeah and you know we we really appreciate her mm-hmm. musicianship yeah um so that was really cool that you launched it with her yeah it was fun <laughs> And she was in town. I didn't even catch that she was in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just down the street from here, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I think you guys probably could have walked there. Was it, it was it was, was in it, Columbia City. The Columbia City Theater? Yeah, yeah it was or, some bar down there. Yeah. Was it uh, the Royal Room? It was. Yeah. Yep. That place is great. I've played there a couple of have times. You? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was so fun. It was so fun. Oh, I'm bummed. Yeah. Now, for sure. <laughs> could have walked over? Yep. Well, yep. next time, tell us. Yeah. I will. Especially if you're kind of in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So what is, I'm hesitant to even ask this question. Um. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Well, because you mentioned theology and and you said you didn't want to get bogged down in the theology. Right. But this is one thing that is on, that might be on the table. Right. That we need to just take off. Yeah. And it is sin. Yeah. Right. Um, what does that word mean to you? <sighs> <laughs> That's a, I, I still have not put language to what I think my concept of sin necessarily is, which I'm hearing all these voices in my head now of like, oh, that's just confirmation. (laughs) Um, Because I do believe in sin. Um, I I don't think, I think sometimes in, in our more progressive spaces, we can, we can move away from sin. And I think for good reason, moving away from a theology and fear-based system around sin, uh, but I do, I do believe that there is sin, and I think, uh, I think a lot of it, you know, Jesus talks about love God and love your neighbor. Uh, he said all the law is wrapped up in in those two, in those two things. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, and. I think my, my tentative definition of sin would be anything that falls outside of, of that love mm. for God and for neighbor and, and, um, and compassion works into that. And, and when we're harming, uh, our neighbors, uh, that's sin. Like, and, and we need to do the work to recognize that within ourselves and within society and, and, 
do the work to to change mm-hmm. that uh but i don't i don't think that i have a super robust theological definition of sin mm-hmm. um because i think oftentimes we know it when we see it uh And then we, I think we need to do the work to, to examine our own biases <laughs> in in process alongside that. But I think I think we know when we see it, and mm-hmm. and I don't know that there necessarily needs to be more conversation about sin as there does like how what are, what are we doing about it mm-hmm. um, in our own selves and and in the world. That's good. Yeah. It's so hard to put language around it, isn't it? Right. Yeah, and you can end up in territories where it's not. It becomes like not helpful anymore. Right. Because I don't think it's a list of rules. Like, right. and it, I think it's a. I think it's a way of being, and and we have personal sin, but we have systemic sin that we all play into. Yeah. Uh, and. I think the work of justice is to work against those forces. Yep. Yeah. And if I could expand on your definition, I would say seen and felt. Yeah. Um, Cause it's uh, some of the, like the bigger systemic stuff mm-hmm. you can't see it as well. Right. Or we become blinded to it. Absolutely. And and it takes a lot of energy just to sort of do the work of uncovering what's really going on. And Absolutely. Figuring out what the truth is here. Right. Um, no, that's good. Thanks for jumping into that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that, question. I, uh, that question makes me nervous because I think, and that's something I think that ties into my own story of because sin has been used as such a loaded word, yep. especially around people who are queer uh-huh. um that is something that i've stepped away from trying to figure out what sin is and what is not yeah. because of the weight that is attributed to that word yeah. and i think it might be work that i step back into at some point um because i know it's there and I, I know what i need to work on and am learning what i need to work on in my own life mm-hmm. um and there are a lot of other things we need to focus on too. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe shift the language too. Yeah. Um, when something has done so much damage and it's that word and you start using it to try and do something good with it, it's right. just, it's not going to work. Right. Um, which brings up another word, um, mm. Christianity. Yeah. What is, what does that mean to you? Yeah, that's another one that's like, I mean, I, I use it for myself. I I think I I proudly identify as being a Christian and I'm also aware that that's one of the fastest ways to make a first date go wrong. (laughs) 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 Are you religious? Like, yeah, I'm pretty religious. Like, (laughs) Let me tell you about that I'm before you. Like, a master <laughs> in theology, by the way. <laughs> um, 
And there's a lot of baggage in that word of Christianity and what, yeah. and what Christianity has been used for, especially in the environment where we find ourselves right now of Western Christianity being used as a tool of empire yep. to for, for personal and societal gain for a very specific group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're tied hand in hand. And I think we see that played out on the national scene right now. Uh, and I, I also really like the term Jesus follower. Yeah. Um, because I am a, I am a follower of Christ. And, and I think, like I said, at, I think at the very beginning, like there's something so, intriguing about the personhood of Christ um, that I can't help but follow him mm-hmm. and and the work that he did in this world and even like I I think to play my cards like I believe in a, a literal death and resurrection like I feel, I feel like I, I sit within some pretty orthodox spots mm-hmm. of Christianity and some unorthodox spots, but like that, like that's something cosmic work that Christ did on the cross and, and kind of the, the shifting of power balances that, that, that act accomplished in my beliefs, um, has ushered us into an entirely new way of being in the world. One of compassion and, and subverting violence. Yes. Um, and that is a story that I want to be a part of. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. mm. um, when you think about the communities that you're talking to, uh, the, the domain is like beyond Christianity. Mm-hmm. Like, cause you're talking about people of faith, right. And trying to live out their faith yeah. as queer. Right. Um, are you interacting with other faiths and interface? Um, a little bit. Yeah. I think not a ton, honestly. Like I think queerology, like, and the work that I do, I, if you listen to it, it's, it's pretty located within Christianity. Yeah. And, and that's just because I know that's where I'm located. And, um, it's, the interfaith world to me is a really interesting world that I think is deeply important because I think all of this world of spirituality ties into each other. I think Mm -hmm. I really do think it does. Um, And I have just knowing of my own questions and, and my own story I'm still really interested in Christianity. And so like, it's that kind of yes and no. Like I do some interfaith work because I think it's really important, but I also am like, this is work that I know that I'm trying to figure out within a particular Christian context. And there are a lot of other people who are doing that too. And when you have that shared faith experience of Christianity, like, we speak a similar language and can do that work in ways that when we start bridging with other traditions, 
there's not as much common language mm-hmm. um, to do some of that more constructive theology. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's like that yes and no. Like, I, and for me, like I like Buddhist tradition, which I know is so popular within the Western world right now, but I think the, the tools of Buddhism, uh, Buddhism being more of a way of being than a religion, mm-hmm. uh, in a very strict sense of religion. Um, I think Buddhist practice leads us into the way of Christ, gives us tools, uh, that certain parts of the Christian church have developed Eastern parts, um, but are very helpful for, for stepping into living full lives. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question. (laughs) Yeah, no, it absolutely does. I mean, it's, you know, your, your identity is Christian. Right. And queer. Right. Therefore your immediate audience is going to be that. Right. And, and it makes the most sense from an authenticity place uh, and from your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's relatable to those people. I can easily see the jump, though, to other people struggling with their own religions right. and the exact same postures happening and um, emotional violence and... right. Oh, absolutely. All of that is, is happening in other places, too. So that's why I was curious to see if there's crossover, because I think the story is right relevant. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. And I think there, there are some other people who are doing some of that work. Specifically, I'm thinking of uh, Eliel Cruz and his, his work with Faithfully LGBT, of where he has very much focused in on creating an interfaith space um, mm-hmm. and... And I'm very appreciative of that work. And I think I'm very interested in Christianity. Yeah. So it's that, it's that, it's that both and of like, yeah, there's work to be done there. Um, I don't know that it's work that I'm capable of necessarily doing because I don't have that. There's such that deep rootedness that comes when you exist in a faith tradition for so long. Right. Um, that an outsider can't really step in too as well that 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 totally makes sense um because when when you grow up in a tradition it is your tradition right it's your tradition even um you may not be practicing it but that's the tradition that you grew up with right yeah so there's stuff it kind of goes back to what you're saying like some stuff sticks and Mm -hmm. it's not all bad right it keeps you it it keeps you right yeah and and i and i'm sitting here like and there's the acknowledgement of like of Christian supremacy in in the world that we live in, yeah. and like those are conversations that do need to be had in other faith traditions, and and um, the this idea that that Christianity is the end all be all when it comes to faith traditions and and the way that has been politicized and used to lord over people, like yeah that's not okay like mm. so there's i mean there's that both and of like i feel very rooted in my faith tradition and like my faith tradition has caused a lot of harm Uh Mm. 
Yeah, it's 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 okay to be critical. Yeah, of your own tradition. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and and, yeah. the, and to work through it. Right. So, how many podcast episodes in are you? This next Tuesday will be episode nineteen. What? Yeah. All right, I gotta get on this. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, nineteen episodes in. Well, what are the things that are coming out of this? Like, um, what's the common thread here? Yeah, something that has popped up so much over kind of these nineteen episodes has been this this idea of embodied spirituality mm-hmm. of digging deep into our bodies, not just a heady theology, a, a quote-unquote rational theology. Uh, and that's so interesting because it's a lot, like, that's where I sit theologically. Like, a lot of my work is around embodied theology, so I, I wonder how much of just the way I facilitate conversation as to whether that might be some of it. But I also think, like, when we're talking about sexual identity and personhood, that's embodied experience. Like, of course our faith has to become embodied. Um, it can't just sit in the realm of theoretical mm-hmm. anymore. Um, so I, I kind of love those conversations about how do we get into our bodies and, and be embodied people who are practicing we're living out our faith uh, in very real ways. Um, and then I think another common theme is just the, the, the trauma and the pain that we come from mm. within our faith community and the resilience that comes out of that too, of still claiming like, no, I'm still part of this. I still want to be a part of it and I want to change the way we do it. Like, wow. Yeah. That's powerful. It is. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. What a gift. Yeah. To have those conversations and mm-hmm. to facilitate that and to convene. Do you, you call yourself a convener, right? If, if you don't, you are. <laughs> <laughs> you're convening this, you yeah. know? You're bringing these... Man, you're doing the, the work. Mm-hmm. The work of healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the hope. Um, is there... Is there anything that you don't have a chance to say on your podcast because you're in the listener chair that you would want people to know? Ah, gosh, that's a really good question. What's I think what's coming to mind is This, this actually, I'm thinking this might actually make a really good, <laughs> really good episode at some point. But this idea of the way I think fear can grip us and grasp at our lives, and and fear, both as a queer person of, of fear of coming out, fear of living into fullness of of identity, and in some cases, very real fear that should be heated about personal safety and and physical safety, and in some places of the country, like that's a really real thing. Um, and also fear within 
maybe more traditional circles of the church of fear of what happens when we let LGBT people in, what happens. I think so much of that theology is, is fear-based and, and rooted in heteronormativity and, and a lot of societal structures, but, but fear of change and, and fear of people who are different than us. Uh, and, and I think about, Jesus, as Jesus says, like, I, I've not come to bring a spirit of fear, um, but to do the work of peace. I don't think that's the exact quote of that verse, but I, but I know that first part of I've, I've not come to bring a spirit of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is working in these spaces and, and, in, and in, the tr- in the traditional spaces, but also in these spaces of of queer people who are terrified of what it means to live their lives. Mm. Um, Isn't do not be afraid the most written phrase in the Bible? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Mm. I think that's because I think it's so easy to get caught up in that fear. I know I do all the time. Mm -hmm. Like life is terrifying. (laughs) Um, yeah fear is a horrible destructive emotion to mm. act from yeah i mean look at our political environment and what mm. like that it, that's created a, a culture of fear and mm-hmm. um fear of scarcity fear like and god is at work that phrase you just used mm. is like a re- relief yeah it's like an exhale mm-hmm. yeah Fear brings you, it's a constrictive emotion, right? Yes. It's like, I'm getting tense. I'm afraid. I'm, I want to back away. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the opposite of what's needed. Yeah. Participation. Right. Openness, vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. movement in, in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah, when you said God is at work, that even even you just saying that like gave me a sense of relief. Yeah, you know, it's like oh, you know, because we I, I think we just tend to like uh, um, we put so much weight on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and forget that all we got to do is kind of shift to a like a posture of participation yes and there's that flow that you were talking about Mm -hmm. that you kind of step into it and then um things start to take shape and open up yeah 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 i love that that the stepping into the flow of participation because i definitely don't believe in like a deterministic worldview or a or even a a quote-unquote like master plan necessarily of our world i i would consider myself to be an an open theist which is the future has not yet been determined mm. not even by god uh, and so stepping into that but god's still in control um and he's doing work and moving and that work can be thwarted but also not and and participation in in that work of god like Mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. um, yeah and the flow is relational too oh yeah so you and your podcast and your you're talking there's the the flow of um conversation mm-hmm. it's bringing us somewhere yeah 
Um, you're, are you working on a book? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there are two in the, what? <laughs> there are two in two? the works. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, one is uh, one that I'm co-authoring with uh, an old professor from undergrad, actually. Really? Who, uh, through reading my blog, as well as many other conversations uh, that he had with other people and interactions, uh, changed positions on what he believed about LGBT people in the church. That's awesome. It's so cool. Uh, and he, through the course of the process of changing his views, kind of wrote this manuscript of, from a very conservative, like literal reading of scripture, doing the research of approaching scripture that way and approaching the research that way, creating an argument for LGBT inclusion in the church, uh, that, stays very close to the text uh, specifically targeted towards people who approach scripture in that way. Uh, wow. And while there are some books out there like that, they're not super accessible. And a lot of the books that are more on the accessible side uh, don't hold to that level of conservatism. Okay. Uh, so I'm really excited about it because it goes to some some places that I feel like where other books can't because they don't hold the same, the same view of scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so he, he wrote most of it and I'm just kind of coming alongside him and working with him on some of the arguments and, and, and bringing in a more queer perspective on that. Uh, so that should be out sometime next year. Uh, and then I'm working on turning my thesis that I wrote last year uh, into expanding that and turning it into a book that's more constructive theology. What was the name of that? Uh, the th the thesis was. Um... <laughs> Let's see if I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> kind of blocked it out of my mind right now because <laughs> it's <laughs> um, personhood, intimacy, and relational yes. flourishing implications on lesbian gay and bisexual bodies uh and it's, it's a constructive argument using a relational trinitarian view of god that cutting lgbt people off from relationship i, I focus specifically on lgb people though because transgender people there's a different when we talk about gender it's a much different conversation than sexuality and, and they get lumped together and so there's some crossover, but it's still a very particular conversation in its own. Okay. Um, but when we cut lesbian, gay, bisexual people off from relationship and transgender people off from relationship, we cut off from personhood. Uh, and there's psychic death. I bring in some some psychology as well. Um, but there's there's no option for for human flourishing when when we cut people off from relationship. Uh, and so doing, trying to do constructive theology out of a, a view of Trinitarian relationship that argues for full participation of, of LGBT people in the church. Man, so rad. that's, I think, probably still a few years down the road, Is but it? it's, we're working on it. So, so, um, are these two books, the first two books that you've written? Yes. 
and is there a process for that? Are you working with a publisher? How, how does this thing work? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a mix of, uh, I, I have a couple of chapters coming out in books this fall and next spring. Um, and these are the first actual like book, like full books. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And, uh, for the, for my thesis, haven't found a publisher yet because I haven't, I don't even have a, a proposal for it yet. Um, Got it. so, but I mean, that's the next step is I'm still fleshing out. It's a long process. <laughs> was funny. I, I'm, I'm having a flashback to like, you posted something on Facebook and it looked like a book, like a cover of a book. Yeah. And it, and you're, and you, I think you oh. said something like, this is my book. Yes. And, and, and like, everyone was like, yeah, Matthias, yes, your book came out. Holy cow, this is amazing. And it was fake. Right? Yeah, that was a, it was a joke. That was, it was, oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, that was the people who were well aware of a very particular news cycle that was happening that morning, um, immediately got that it was a joke and then everyone else <laughs> was like <laughs> thought it was real and i was like oh wait i should have <laughs> but it was like 200 comments in or yeah, something and yeah, then you're like was... uh, hey everybody just yeah like kidding. just so you know this is, <laughs> this is a joke it that's was it was commentary <laughs> oh that's good well yeah. you got a lot of supporters out there man yeah this, <laughs> like, it was great <laughs> so when it comes out for real yeah it's gonna be good yeah i'm excited um and then the uh, the counseling, man, mm-hmm. like that's that's real, yeah. Work that you're doing, like hands-on, mm-hmm. intimate, face-to-face work. Are you yep. have you started um, practicing or doing internship stuff? Is are yeah. you into that? Yeah, just started my internship. Um, I have not seen my first client yet, mm. uh, but will next week, uh, and. Yeah, that's happening. Here we go. Yep. And then do you, so you do that for the next, well, you graduate, right, in June? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the next eight months, I think, I'm in that internship. Okay. Yeah. And then are you thinking you're going to go into practice? I think so. I'd like to. Yeah. I think on a very part-time basis, it's not. I don't think that's something that I want to devote my whole livelihood to. Um, but I'm very passionate, especially about working with LGBT people who have faith trauma and to do the work of working with that. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. You got anything else going on? You only got two books, a podcast, (laughs) counseling degree to go. (laughs) Just trying to get enough sleep. That's (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, do do you get enough sleep or no? I do. That's <laughs> that's something that I'm very careful around my sleep schedule. I yeah, it's I I promised myself my first year of, of undergrad as a freshman. I promised myself I would never pull an all-nighter. Mm-hmm. And continued that promise and have held that promise all the way through grad school and it's usually when I'm having to make a decision between sleep or getting work done, I choose sleep and it has always worked out. It works out. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing. But. Um, I just checked in on my iPhone, like how much sleep I'm getting. Yeah. I forgot that you can even do that. But I checked yesterday and 
I'm getting like six and a half hours. Huh. I'm like, oh. Yeah. I could use a little bit more. Yeah. Than six and a half every night. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. After the kids go to bed, I'm like, this is my time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's you need that, too. So I want it. I <laughs> right. want to, like, stay awake. I don't want it to end. Oh, totally. The morning comes pretty quickly. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, anything else, man, that we didn't cover? No, we, we covered, covered we covered a, a lot. Ton, didn't we? Yeah. This is awesome. I feel, I feel like this was a gift. Mm. Yeah. This exchange. Thank you. Yeah. Me too. This has been wonderful. Mm. Um. The work that you're doing is super important, mm. and uh. I know that, you know, just from Mary and I, um, we, we just want to thank you mm. for the work and, uh, we want to support you in any mm. way we can. Mm. And we love you as a friend too. Mm. Thank you. And thanks for being a friend to Mary too. Ah, through school. Yes, I adore Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been such a gift. Yeah. Good. Well, um, People can find you at MatthiasRoberts.com, right? Yep, I'm Matthias Roberts across the internet. So across Twitter, everything, Facebook, Instagram. Matthias, how do you spell it? M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S. Awesome. Matthias Roberts in the house. Yeah. Check out Matthias. Go say hi online and uh, and, and go uh, get connected with all the great work he's doing. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.